my case for this is we have the data to show that a bear is psychological. We know that bears are psychological uh, because people sell exit rallies. They look for any kind of exit liquidity. We know that these things, and there's, there's so many concepts from like traditional finance where you hear, you know, these anecdotes, right? The smart money always it's sells subjective terms that don't have any meaning. Exactly. But in, in the on-chain space, we can see it. We can literally right. see all of these people who've held their coins for a short period of time, they have a beautiful skill of selling the exact bottom of a bull market correction and buying the exact top. They're fantastic mm -hmm. at it. So mm -hmm. you see these anecdotes play out over and over. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Arcos Global Advisors or its advisors. The mention of different asset types or securities do not constitute a recommendation for our clients. If you have any questions about the content of this podcast, please contact your advisor. In this episode of Navigating Bitcoin's Noise, I am joined by Checkmate, lead on-chain analyst at Glassnode. In our discussion, Chuck shares the importance of taking an engineer's approach to truly understand what drives and supports a market below the surface. We cover how on-chain analytics allow one to monitor value flowing through the Bitcoin network and what that tells us about the behavioral characteristics of various investor types that make up the markets. We dive into Bitcoin bear markets, what metrics define them, what role memes play, and what factors separate a bull from a bear. If you're looking to better understand Bitcoin's past and its future potential as an economic network, then join us and listen in. That's a big point that I want to go back on a minute ago. So when, you know, finding the trend is the most important of any asset class, uh, just in life, right? If you start in business, uh, find a trend of what people want and what they're likely going to want for the next five, 10 years. Uh, but what do you use or, or what are your core, uh, and, and you don't have to share them if you don't want to share your secret sauce, but to find a trend and to realize when there's a trend change, or let's just say, You've gotten caught up in the noise. We all get caught up in the noise here or there. What do you consistently go back to to say, okay, this is this is giving me the the signal or the guide to kind of re, you know, get my bearings straight again? For sure. Um, so what I normally do when I'm doing because I spend most of my time looking at, uh, at at Bitcoin data and on chain, um, what I'll generally do is is categorize things. So um, you know, as the engineer, I try to ask, what's the problem that I want to solve? So in the current market where we're seeing, uh, you know, um, essentially a, a fairly severe bear that's in play, um, what are the things that I want to see and what do I not want to see? I do want to see a consistent base of people who have high conviction um, and are continuing to accumulate. What I would like to see as a bonus on top of that is going to be an influx of new users. Or, for example, when we start to get towards bottoms, we tend to see that the smart money go, all right, this is it. Let's, let's, let's really kick this thing on. And the smart money being smart generally doesn't publicize their moves until they've, they've actually completed. Mm -hmm. So for example, in that type of instance, what I'll look for is a gradual uptick in on-chain activity. We're seeing more coins getting moved around. Are we seeing more supply going into these different sinks, custodians, things like that? Um, are we seeing younger coin supply really descending? Are we seeing the amount of volume moving on chain? Because even OTC deals are creating on chain volume. At so, some point, yeah. Exactly. So you'll see these big transactions under the surface. So what I want to see is those types of metrics start to suggest that relative to the market size, there's a hell of a lot of funds moving. Mm -hmm. uh, funds are changing, activities picking up. And that will normally be a quiet change in bottoming trend. 
Um, the, 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 and you know, so that's kind of the on-chain activity side. There's the supply dynamics. Are we seeing younger coins starting to seep off the map? Seeing more of that hodling ticking over. Um, and the converse is when you're in the, you know, when you're looking for that reversal of a bullish trend, uh, are the smart money getting out? And then what's the, uh, what does it mean when the smart money is getting out? Well, it means that the dumb money now owns all their coins and is heavily oversupplied. Um, so th they're the types of things, right? What do I want to see? What do I not want to see? Um, and it comes back to understanding the psychology of the market. I want to see people like, you know, I, I try to put myself in the bucket of the smart money. I want to see myself in the data. If I see myself in the data, then it's, it's you know, at least then I feel like I'm on the right track and there's others like me out there. Um, obviously, when you see, it, just because you're seeing accumulation going on, these things don't necessarily mean it is the bottom. But what we're looking for is a change. So a good example of this, we have a metric called the accumulation trend score. And what this looks as over the last 30 days, how has the amount of accumulation or balance change um, are whales adding significantly? If a whale with 10,000 coins adds one coin, who cares? If he adds 5,000, that's significant. So mm -hmm. how much is that going on across the market? Now, as we came into the lunar sell-off the other week, um, very, very soft. We were seeing it, you know, it was kind of oscillating around, bit of buying, bit of selling, and then it just really dropped off a cliff into that event. Now, following that, that whole thing is, I mean, we've returned about a week and a half, almost two weeks of the perfect score, it fully maxed out. So we are seeing that there's been a psychological change. Something changed down as we pulled down from 38 down to, uh, to 29. Something has changed in investor behavior. So it doesn't mean it's the bottom, but something is changing. And now I'm paying more attention. And that's a key point, which was what I was trying to drive home, the fundamental within the technical. Correct. So if you just technically look at this, you can draw pretty charts with on-chain and put some lines on it. But you have to look at fundamentally, when does demand outstrip supply? When does supply outstrip demand? And you kind of have this beautiful tool that gives you both, mm -hmm. but you have to know what you're looking at, um, which is- Absolutely. And important. you know, you're looking for changes in human behavior because you know, human beings are a cyclical creature. Um, generally speaking, you know, what, what, I don't know what the stats are, but 85, 90% of people lose money in markets. Yeah. Um, so what you're trying to do is find those 15. You're trying mm -hmm. to find that 15% and see what they're doing. Um, and simultaneously, what's the 85% doing? And it's the same in technical analysis, all the same thing. There is edge in understanding the confluence between all of these tools. And that's how you and I kind of got, in, I got on your service and, and watch some of the stuff, read some of the stuff. It's great stuff. Um, more or less just follow around on Twitter. But in one of the chats, we're back and forth. Uh, what was it last year in one of the, you know, up and down periods and I just strictly was coming in there. Well, here's what I see from the charts. Doesn't look good. Where's somebody who's somebody that has much better insight into the, the fundamental piece, the on-chain piece. And, you know, at the time we're like, this is a bear market or not. And you say bear in these spaces and people just flip out and just ream you. So what, what can you talk about that? Just, is that just, you know, don't come in with anything that's not uber positive or why is that? use of bear and bull term, which is a traditional market thing, such a uh, hated you know, concept in Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, uh, on the social element, I think just, uh, you know, we're in a, an industry that's probably very retail driven, right? People, uh, people don't like losing money. Um, I also think that people don't know how to, how to react to a bear. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think the first problem that we have is that the concept of a Bitcoin bear is poorly defined because if you use the 20% 
correction in a it's uh, every day it's, it's every <laughs> couple of days right it's, you know well, it doesn't make sense and this is actually where it's like, you know my my case for this is we have the data to show that a bear is psychological we know that bears are psychological uh, because people sell exit rallies they look for any mm-hmm. kind of exit liquidity we, we know that these things and there's there's so many concepts from like traditional finance where you hear, you know, these anecdotes, right? The smart money always sells subjective the terms price. that don't have any meaning. Exactly, but in in the on-chain space, we can see it. We can literally right. see all of these people who've held their coins for a short period of time. They have a beautiful skill at selling the exact bottom of a bull market correction and buying the exact top. They're fantastic mm-hmm. at it. So mm-hmm. you see these anecdotes play out over and over. Anyway, so and, and the topic of a bear market, I look for. Have we seen investor psychology change to the point where people are going to sell exit rallies? Are they they going to take whatever liquidity they can? And in that instance, um, you know, essentially, you know, I've I've made this case a number of times. Um, the the rally we had in uh, August through to November 2021, which took us to the all time high, right. was in my opinion inside a bear market because that, I agree. The amount of confidence that got shaken after that May 2021 sell-off, we never even got even close to regaining the on-chain activity, the investor numbers, um, people using it, just overall volumes. It just was it was a whole different ball game. Um, yes, that was a supply squeeze because we saw a huge amount of accumulation mm-hmm. at 30,000 level, um, which is why the current 30,000 level is again interesting again. Well, you so, think about it psychologically. All of the people that for years had been like Bitcoin's too expensive, can't do it, can't do it. It finally came into thirty, and they were that the the last buyers, you know, for 100%. the for the guys exiting, and yep. and, and the exiters is I'll keep selling, I'll keep selling because they don't somebody with a big stack or or an institutional investor or the smart money, they don't sell everything at the top. They sell scale on the up. way up. They mm-hmm. they scale up and they scale in. So they are scale out and scale in. And that's just the way that you do it because you're not worried about, I need to hit the dead bottom or hit hit the dead top. You're trying to just get the size that you need. And you're trying to get out with a good, you know, VWAP average price. Uh, Uh, My my market mentor has installed uh, this one term. There is no trophy for picking the Mm -mm. bottom. There's no Mm -mm. trophy for getting the bottom tick. Um, Nobody's going to NFT your tweet. No way. There's, uh, there's, There's more cut hands and people who just get completely wiped out from trying to do that. Um, it is, and it's. It was very interesting, and you know, it, it comes back to the um, uh, the market momentum side. So, not only did we see that kind of flushing out of users in May, um, but we'd also seen a rotation of retail specifically into more of these speculative altcoins, and they also had a very powerful rally. However, the backlash of that, right? That was kind of that last impulse. People get completely flushed into these uh, um, higher risk, uh, higher risk assets, and we've now seen that flush out phase to the downside. And anybody that remained through that period and you know saw their portfolio go to all time high is now uh, having a hard time, right? They've seen the complete flush out. And as every cycle before, we see this capital rotation. Money flows out of that side. The rose-colored glasses come off, and then mm. you see this rotation back at the moment to the dollar. But eventually, yeah. the dollar will pour back in, and this yep. this this waterfall keeps going. That's my thesis. We are now officially fully in a dollars or not dollars world. Yeah, you are either in dollars because we can argue that we don't like it, but it's the best monetary network there is in the world right now because you can go anywhere, you can use them. 
we need them to to shop at places in the future is that what part of this bitcoin financialization is about is building a better network yes um but the the best thing about bear market is when it allows that network to be built and 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 all the you know real players just like you saw uh, in the in the tech crash, the guys that built up the pets.com and all that stuff, the people that stayed through that just nasty bear market, they built the Amazons, they built the Googles, they built all that stuff. And so I think what's important fundamentally to me is these bear markets give those guys that are building wallet services, building custodial services, building apps that actually allow us to use this and it not just be uh, an investment. Uh, or store of value. I mean, that that's awesome. We need that. That's the part of the world that's broken. We don't have that um, outside of gold, but it doesn't move enough when it needs to move. Mm-hmm. Or I can't sit at home and slice off a piece of gold to pay you uh, with a knife. Um, so that's, to me, I like, I don't like bear markets, right? I don't like looking at my account, but if my allocations are correct based on my needs of money, then they're actually better. Exactly. And, you know, when I look at it again, my, my perspective is generally uh, long-term. Um, and, and this is the thing, right? You, there's two ways you can go about it as an analyst, uh, I've found. And I've, I've tried both ways. Um, mm-hmm. One is to be, you know, actively trading and, and putting on positions all the time and, you know, really putting your thesis to the test and all the rest of it. Uh, but what I find is I lost so much time worrying about the position that I right. would, as you said at the start of this call, I would build my analysis to support my position. Correct. So what I've now done is just strip that out. I just put myself, I, I know that I work best and my mind is the most clear when I'm just, I, I just buy. I, I, I don't particularly care about too much. Sure, I'll be uh, waiting when I think that there's uh, more downside. I'll be waiting to actually pick up at a, at a discount um, or you know pick up at the, as, as low a price as I can in a correction. Um, but really, it's just, uh, it, it's adjusting when my DCA goes in. Um, the rest of it gives me that clearer mind so I can actually just let the information come to me and, and, and dissect it and understand it as best I can um, and then present it. And be like, look, this is what the, the data is telling us. And again, I look at myself back in April. I look at myself back in, uh, in November and you know, uh, the amount of lessons that I personally have learned um, through that process. Um, the analyst that I was back then is, is, is half what I am now, right? It's just, it comes down to experience, practice and uh, seeing these market cycles play out um, and uh, and learning how the dynamics change because they are changing at a very rapid clip, and uh, you know a lot of analysts get stick not just on chain but all all sorts of analysts, and you just have to peel it back and say, well, no one's no one alive has ever traded this type of market. This is a whole new regime. We have inflation now. This has been forty years in the making, and mm-hmm. uh, and we are approaching the end game of the global financial system. It's like cut everyone some slack. We're 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 working through it. Right. You've got to find the signal to figure out. And if you're just holding one asset, odds are, unless you just get lucky, you'll, you'll feel a lot of pain. Uh, and, and I'm, you know, diversification, uh, is a good thing. Too much diversification is a bad thing. It's no, no different than owning just one asset. So again, I don't, I'm not pro just diversify so much that, you know, the one thing or the three things that win don't really move the needle. Um, but you do have to diversify. I, th- I think that's where I, I get a little bit concerned in, in the memification of things is this idea that Bitcoin is the only thing you should hold is not a good thing for the investor uh, because that's a really risky bet. Uh, 
and and ninety percent of people don't have that kind of risk tolerance. Most people sure. just want to hit the center of the court. And I think one of the important things you just said, as an investor, as an analyst, you're looking back at yourself constantly. Am I getting better? Am I improving? Am I improving one percent per day? Right? Am I getting better to the point where I can see, hey? It sounded cool at the time, but maybe it was a little bit wrong. Why was it wrong? Let me take the engineer's approach. And, and I think that is something every investor, whether they're just, you know, with somebody like us, where they're just wealth management and they go do what they do in the daytime, they're just trying to preserve wealth. Or if they're a big time hedge fund investor or institutional investor or some guy on Twitter that's just investing, if you're not taking that process and applying it to your portfolio, then you're probably not getting better over time and you're probably spending more time in the noise than the signal. Exactly. And, uh, you know, one mistake that I certainly made um, on the rally higher from April through to October, November is, um, and I, I was saying it on Twitter, I say, like, I, I get this rally. I, I get it. Like I support mm -hmm. it. And I, I said in September when we had that low, like this, this probably is a correction rather than a, uh, um, than a, a reversal or a, a lower high. And uh, my, my main point was there's no on-chain activity. There's no user growth. We don't have the momentum for supporting this. And the mistake that I made is I, uh, I saw we, us go to all-time high and that was the confirmation. I was like, all right, well, obviously all these other analysts, right? I, I, I too said that there was going to be strength, but I expected continuation because the all-time high confirmed that everyone else was right. right. The on-chain activity was, you could just ignore it and I must've missed something. The reality is I didn't miss anything and I didn't trust my own gut. And yep. that was it. That was certainly a, a le um, lesson for me. And I went back and studied that whole process. And again, exactly the same. And, and again, that's the second mistake. So there won't be a third. Um, I missed all of these divergences, whether it's in mm -hmm. our profitability, whether it's in on-chain activity. Mm -hmm. And now the step is I need to take that lesson, document it and get it ready for, uh, for the next run. So people understand that there is power in these on-chain tools even the best analysts are still learning how to use them. And I think this is a really important point that people don't understand. This discipline has been around for less than four years. Right. Realistically, in practice, it's had 2020 onwards. And that's yeah. it. Um, so, you know, um, throwing the, uh, the baby out with the bathwater is a mistake. Um, there's a process of learning and there's an immense amount of edge in there. And I know because, again, I look at my own analysis over time. And I'm like, yeah, just mm -hmm. a whole different ballgame. I think you're exactly right. I mean, I myself made the same mistake of, of looking back and kind of knowing it in the time uh, I should be rebalancing. Yeah. But I just was like, nah, ride or die mode. Like this is the, like, this is the allocation that I want. Of course, it's going to exponentially grow and eat everything else. But when that happens as an investor, you should be redialing it back to some standard weight so that just like you said, if you're wrong that you chose to go with the noise, uh, that and that fall happens, that rebalance helped you. If that fall sure. doesn't happen, then okay, your stack is just going to get back to that multiple and the same thing. But that's where gravity comes along. And, and so I think we all make mistakes. That's part of it. Uh, I kind of like look at and live by that uh, in baseball, you know, if you hit 300 plus, you're getting into the Hall of Fame. Um, but when you look at what that means, you only got on base three out of 10 times, which yeah, is, yeah. which is pretty terrible. But yeah. so, uh, same thing with trading and, and, and investing, you know, if you have your allocations right and you rebalance at the right times, you only need to be right 50 to 60% of the time. 
And that's why they say risk management is uh, is so much more important than your entries and your exits. Because if you uh, if you manage your risk, even if you do get stopped out, you've already constrained the uh, the total loss to what it, you know what two percent or one percent of your account, um, and you can recover from that. But mm-hmm. uh, you know the, the the hard part is particularly you know as you watch retail um, in this industry, there is a lot of marketing. There's a lot of leverage. There's a lot of mm-hmm. exciting toys, um, and the unfortunate reality is that people go all in. Right. I don't understand risk management, and uh, this is not this is not just uh, crypto. I mean, this has been happening forever, right? Every asset mm-hmm. class. Um, how many people have lost their shirt betting on uh, junior gold mining stocks and literally hoping to hit gold and just right. getting their shirt handed to them? So, it's a process, um, and you know, I think everybody has to lose money before you understand markets. You have to pay your tuition, uh, and until you've done you've done that, uh, you just simply don't understand. And um, when I look at you know, there's different people that I'll teach um, on chain. And there's really two different categories of them that I find. There's those that have been around through a bear market and there's those that haven't. Mm-hmm. And the way that you have to explain things to them are very, very different. You can, you can go much more technical, deep market psychology with people who have seen a bear. If they haven't, they simply can't comprehend that things go down. You, you have to go through the pain first before you fully understand it. It's, it's part of the experience. And once you spent long enough time in, in Bitcoin, and I'm sure it's, I mean, not sure, it's no different than other markets. It's just this one, for whatever reason, is a little bit more polarizing, a little bit more cultish, but it's that buying the 2018 top. You know, I did the same thing earlier, a few years before, bought, let it ride and got into trading because it's, you know, psychologically and technically it was awesome. The patterns worked. And then as that bear market came in, I could see the footprints moving back to Bitcoin. And I was like, okay, well, this is signal. You can see it in the trade. You can see it in the charts. So, but when I got looking back, I gave up so much more money, just not DCAing in and then rebalancing and, and trying to get cute and trade everything possible just because you could. And so two things that come to mind, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And then a minute ago, you said something which uh, I've quoted before. Mark Yusko says, you know, oftentimes in the markets, you, you, you sell what you're about to need to buy the things you wish you had bought. And yeah. that's a classic top, you know, top sign. When you feel like, hey, I want to I, I sell this thing over here to go buy this thing that everybody else is chasing, you, you know that that's kind of in top territory. Hundred percent, and uh, you know the other thing is you see this this cyclicality that um, as we go through the bottom of the bear, you know, mm-hmm. historically speaking, you do see this rotation. Obviously, the dollars, but um, eventually that money flows back towards Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and we generally see that even as the bulls kicks off, whenever we get the final event, and you know, we, the bottom yet's put in. Which the, the hilarious thing is, think, people think that the bottom is like, oh, that was it. And then yeah. it's like, no, 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 no. You don't know it was the bottom. Bottom's a process. It's six months afterwards, you look back and you go, gee, that turned out it was the bottom. You don't know in advance. Yeah. But during that initial call, the disbelief rallies, the thing starts to come out, you know, um, you generally see that money continues to rotate back towards the larger caps, right? You still see this wealth flowing back towards the uh, towards BTC. Um, mm-hmm. Even though we may have started the bull, um, it's it's the kind of this continuous process because after all of that, people realize, you know, I, I didn't, I've held all these coins and they've gone down and my assets have been flushed out and I held too much risk. And then at the bottom, right, they finally capitulate and they realize, oh, I actually don't have enough Bitcoin either because they mm-hmm. didn't do that DCA process through the, uh, through the bear. So then there's this second wave of, of capital that flows back in. But 
you know, it's uh, whether this time is different, I don't know, but uh, um, I certainly, even to the same extent, you know, as you're watching institutions and you watch Michael Saylor's and the like coming into the first part of this bull, it looks like this time is different. And, you know, suddenly you've got inflation and debasement in March 2020. Mm-hmm. Turns out it wasn't that different. It was, uh, you know, it's more or less the same game. Um, there's different rules, different macro environment, but it wasn't different. And, you know, keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah. And we always talk about that. And and this time is different. It's never different. It's always the same. There's mm-hmm. there's But the narratives are different. And that's sure. what, and, and a lot of the narratives, it, when you've been through a couple of these cycles, you see these narratives and everybody's like, you know, can't ever manipulate Bitcoin. Well, this cycle, you absolutely saw Bitcoin get manipulated with, with all the futures and whatnot and Wall Street games. So I that- mean, Arguably, it, we saw it the other week, right? Yeah, someone, yeah. someone went after that 80,000 Bitcoin that they knew would be distressed and sold. Yeah. And uh, they got it. Right? And that's they, a classic they, hedge fund game. They got it. I mean, and, and yeah, again, that that's my speculation to a part, but- um, you know, I saw I saw a, a large pool of Bitcoin with a very, very uh, animated owner mm-hmm. and uh, with a very, very clear strike price and yeah. a very, very advanced trade could have, uh, you know, sophisticated actor could have very quickly gone, I want it. And that's part of markets has been around since market is spoofing. Jesse Livermore used to, he spoofed the market all the time. Paul Tudor Jones, I have a video of him. The trader is a 1980s documentary. It was phenomenal. He spoofed the bond markets. And he was sitting there with multiple phones in his hand, calling different traders and telling them to do the opposite order. And part of that is just figuring out where the market is. So what's very interesting or or not interesting, I think funny a little bit, um, is to see a guy like Doquan come out. I'm going to buy this much Bitcoin and I'm never going to give it up. Well, everything's on chain. Every and, wallet and, you own is known, so they know where your weakness is. And and more importantly, you're trying to defend the currency peg, which Correct. has how many examples of not working? You know, yeah. it's, it's it's like ignoring history. And you know, it, it's very interesting. And you know, he's he, he retweets um, the exact trade that mm-hmm. was put on and saying this would never happen, it can't happen, but <laughs> you, it you will see this. It, it, absolutely. I mean, we are playing a game of currency pegs. Um, you know, it's miniature George Soros that someone just, just yeah. took him to the cleaners. So interesting thing there. And, and I, um, you know, I'm not pro it, but I do think we did learn something that will help this, you know, Bitcoin based financial system, financial network that will come out of these algorithmic stable coins. If you look at ICOs, the survivors became DeFi. The survivors became NFTs and then, you know, rebirth of DeFi. And so what was new, what was different this time around was this algorithmic stablecoin trash. But if you, if you look into like read into Luna, which I'm sure you did, they're basically the goal, or or I don't know if that was their goal, but when I read this, this is what I saw it. I'd love to just kind of hear your take. We won't go long on it because it's totally side topic, but the problem with the existing financial system, the dollar network, the Bretton, Bretton Woods system, is its subjective opinion of 12 guys. Yeah, no. and, okay. and I still find it amazing that, that they have such the impact. Correct. So Incredible. the algorithmic stablecoin was codifying those subjective opinions and setting in place rules that no, you know, check, you can't just come in here. Well, today... I feel like this because we know we all wake up with an emotional state geared towards one bent or the other. And so they're removing that subjectivity. Now, 
the challenge is they're doing it on an open network where sharks know exactly where your pain points are. Absolutely. So I think maybe in future future cycles, we take the parts of that that are work a la removing subjectivity. And how do we do it? In, and this is going to sound bad, but in a centralized manner, meaning where all of the code is not exposed or all of the wallets are not exposed so that sharks come in and take you out and, you know, pull one leg from the three-legged stool and it falls over. Um, what do you think about that? This is a this is a fascinating topic and one that is, in my opinion, unsolved. Um, it comes down to on-chain privacy, actually. So um, Ethereum has is coming up against this and will continue to come up against this uh, quite significantly. So um, it's, it comes back to, in my view, the best example of this is minor extractable value, MEV. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where the miners of any chain, let's take Ethereum as the prime example, they can see someone submitting a trade. I want to move this price on, on Uniswap. Citadel. And they, exactly. So what they can do is the miner can go, well, that's okay. I'm just going to slot my transaction here, give you a little bit of slippage. You'll take the higher bid. I'll sell to you. And then I'll sell mm-hmm. it back and close the gap. We call it a sandwich attack. And anybody and- that's traded uh, traditional markets and an illiquid instrument, something like preferred or thinly traded stock, you've had to play that bid ass spread. Correct. So um, you have this situation where because the people who are building the blocks have that slight advantage of being able to order the transactions and code executes sequentially, um, execute sequentially, they can essentially front run, sandwich attack. There's all sorts of mm-hmm. increasingly complex. Um, so that is a whole risk. Now, how, what there, in my view, there kind of is only one solution to that. And that would be the miners just can't tell what's in the transaction. So that Correct. means you have on-chain privacy. Now, the problem with on-chain privacy is that it's extremely computationally expensive. Mm-hmm. We see this with Zcash. We see this with Monero. Um, their transaction sizes are much larger. The computational time is much larger. Um, and in Monero's case, um, I mean, Zcash as well, but in Monero's case particularly, coding smart contracts on top of it is just that extra layer of complexity above what you have to do for Bitcoin. Um, but you get the potential also, bugs and that kind of stuff. There, Unexpected outcome. Yeah. Exactly. There's trade-offs and just the engineering is more complex. So just mm-hmm. literally building smart contracts is more complex. Um, so, you know, it's harder to build on top. Now, that doesn't mean that Bitcoin is easy to build on top, but it's it's easier than uh, Monero. So anyway, that's that's my view where it's the, the only way you can solve that is via some kind of on-chain privacy. But then you introduce trade-offs that I don't think in Bitcoin at the very least um, are an acceptable trade-off. I right. don't think that you'll ever get uh, obfuscation of supply and things like that. That's, that's yeah. part of the, uh, the value prop. So it's interesting. Maybe this is an opportunity for things like Lightning Network, um, mm-hmm. which are peer-to-peer channels. Mm-hmm. And this is actually something that I'm, I need to do more study on, but there's opportunity there. The reason that you can do these minor extractable values on uh, Ethereum, for example, or any smart contract chain is that Every, it's a blockchain, it's a public network. Yep. Um, Lightning Network is a network of private networks. Right. Right. I'm connected to you. You're connected to a routing node. He's connected to the, the merchant and payments can go through those systems. As a result, the merchant can't see our payment channel. Um, you and I can't see the merchant to the routing nodes payment. Channel. All these things have levels of privacy and you can start to build things on top of that. So because it's done away with the blockchain infrastructure, um, which... I don't know many other protocols. Most L2s are just another blockchain with some anchoring system. Um, that is a potential pathway, some kind of technology that actually separates the validation and the, and the block building, so to speak, 
um, and kind of breaks that apart and makes it more private, um, there's options there. But again, it's, it's an engineering challenge that is as yet uh, far from solved. So another one, and I won't go too far uh, because we'll wrap this up here in a few, but I was looking last night at uh, Renembia and Yuan and something I've followed that stuff for, for since 2010, just kind of rabbit holing on the historical financial piping of, of traditional markets and, and how all this stuff fits together. But interestingly, I had, it's been a long time and I don't think I understood it. It was probably five, eight years ago when I read it before, just kind of passed over it. But the Renembi is, or Renembi is the currency used for medium of exchange, a la lightning. The yuan is the unit of account, the base layer. So they work in tandem hmm. on two different halves. So if you think about how Bitcoin, the network works and how lightning ties in on top of it as a layer two, it's the yuan and renminbi. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? And it's, it's where a lot of critics don't understand that Bitcoin doesn't need visa transactions like right. the network does. Exactly. They don't understand that it's, you know, Bitcoin is the federal reserve. Correct. It's the base money. It's, it's a whole different beast. Um, and the settlement is a different system, whereas Lightning Network is your cash payment network. Yep. Now, user Medium exchange. Exactly. Medium exchange. The user experience is so far, so far from acceptable. But right. engineering and time, we will get there. So it, that's it, the process. That's what we talked about early on too, uh, because the average person is not going to use Bitcoin and Lightning as it is today. To, to do something and trading is not a product. It is, it is for exchanges like Coinbase, Gemini, Kraken, uh, but that's a few, you know, handful of people. And in terms of a monetary network, what does trading and sitting in front of your screen trying to make money trading do for the average person across the globe? Not really anything. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's um, it, it has to go through the engineering process. It's got to go through the uh, user experience process. They take time, uh, particularly with decentralized systems. Um, so look, it, it, it will get there, but eventually all these things need to be abstracted from the user. The user doesn't right. need to know that, they don't even know that needs to know they're using Lightning Network. They just know mm-hmm. that they've got an app and they hit send and receive and it, it just does its job. Right. So uh, it'll get there, but it's going to take time. And that's where we are today, like with the current existing dollar visa network. We don't really know how it works other than if I hand you a physical dollar, you know, I know how that works, but um, the underneath of the credit card, we just know I wanted this thing or I wanted to pay for something and I hit these couple of buttons and it was done. And and we'll get there with these networks as well. I mean, I personally think the dollar doesn't have to go to zero. Uh, we'll have this. Uh, yeah, I, I think that um, people who are betting that fiat currencies are going away yeah. are probably kidding themselves. It's parallel networks. Hmm. And if you look at monetary history, gold was the network. And when it started not to work that well, then the dollar network, when that started not to work that well, the treasury network, when that started not work work that well, here we are. And so none of those networks went away. Yep. It just got used a little bit less. So um, anyways, well, I, I really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, it's on a Saturday. So uh, appreciate you making some time and, and love to have you back on in the future and just kind of talk about where things are, where you are. No worries. Um, Fantastic. No, it's great, mate. Thanks for having me on. And uh, it's always good to talk markets and, and how they get built and, and the structure of them. It's always good yeah, fun. Yeah. And for listeners that want to, you know, find out more about you, where can they find you at? Yep. So you'll find me uh, at underscore checkmatey uh, on, uh, on Twitter. 
Um, but uh, if you want to be following most of my work, uh, jump onto Glassnode Insights. Uh, we've got a portal there where we essentially capture how we use our metrics, um, how we use the tooling for on-chain. Um, and there's, there's a written version, but if you're more you know, video and audio, uh, we also have a YouTube channel where we basically each newsletter we talk through in, uh, in great detail to just understand you know, how these things fit together and you know, how I look at the different puzzle pieces. So uh, you'll find me there. And I admittedly spot check those things, but they're phenomenal resources. Um, I do listen to them from time to time. Uh, I just got so many other things I look at, uh, but I do find time to look at those. So definitely appreciate you guys putting that out and, and the, all the work that goes into it. It's great. Thanks, Kane. Cheers. All right. Thanks, Chuck.